from a scientific viewpoint, we looked at, I looked at, what were the top 12 beliefs of the Native Americans of this land the last time it was okay to put Mother Earth at the center of your spirituality? Say the year 800. And what were the top 12 beliefs of our ancient mothers in the lands where we genetically come from, where I genetically come from, Northern Europe, and the Beguines? And where eight of those beliefs overlapped, we adopted those for our own. This is Meredith For Real, The Curious Introvert, and I'm Meredith. I explore the questions people think but don't ask out loud, either because they're taboo or thanks to cultural hypnosis. My mission, and yours if you choose to accept it, is to inspire curiosity by exploring the nuance and paradox of our world. Each episode is different, so bring your ADD and your earbuds and have a look around. Hey, Curiositors, it's me, Meredith. This is a tale of things not being as they seem. A weed nun who doesn't sell weed and isn't a nun, who practices moon ceremonies, but is a businesswoman and not a witch. If you're a loyal curiositor, you already know this is the sort of paradox I tend to lean into. My mission here is to inspire you to lead with curiosity instead of judgment. Thank you for pressing play yet another week. I am so grateful for that. If you're wondering where I find guests like these, you're not alone. I get asked that a lot. So I started sharing where I find each guest in my Monday email, along with the regular new episode information. Then on Saturday, I share cliff notes and clickable links from that week's episode. If you want to be included, you can text REAL, R-E-A-L, to 66866 if you're in the U.S. Or if you're elsewhere, you can go to MeredithForReal.com. And if you're new here, welcome. Every Monday is a new 30-minute conversation with a paradoxical person or topic. There's no specific order to listen to episodes. And at the end of each episode, I offer a next episode suggestion of if you liked that, you might like this sort of thing. So have a look around and hit play on whatever grabs your attention. All right. Enjoy the show. What do you do when your husband embezzles over a million dollars from your business? Your brother betrays you and you have three children to feed and raise? You innovate. My next guest was a Midwestern corporate woman who grew up Catholic, had a degree in business education, and voted for Reagan. In other words, an unlikely candidate to operate a cannabis business. But in 2008, in an area of California with few job prospects, but many medical marijuana patients, it seemed like a viable place to park her talents. With the help of her kids, local doctors, and a lawyer, she delivered medical cannabis to sick and dying patients. Today, she operates Sisters of the Valley, more commonly known as the Weed Nuns. Today, she's going to share how cannabis has been both a personal and societal solution and, well, why she wears a nun uniform. Outspoken advocate, queen of the pivot, making the devil's lettuce holy, Sister Kate. Thanks for spending time with me today. Wow, what an amazing intro. <laughs> Thank you. I don't think I don't think anyone's bundled it up that way before. Thank you. That's very interesting. Well, I'm, already, I'm already entertained and I just got here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're pretty interesting. It's not like you're boring. So I, I wasn't that that difficult, but thank you for the compliment. Mm -hmm. Let's um, 
start with the story where your brother, he had started black market selling, which y'all had agreed he wouldn't do that. And he did. And then you had a confrontation with him and he kicked you out of the house and you were homeless. Yes. I mean, not quite because I already had Occupy uh, friends. So, but you're still homeless, even when you're being rescued by homeless people in the Occupy movement. So I didn't feel completely abandoned, but I definitely was thrown out of my home over a dispute over legal weed and the black market. And how long did it take before you got back on your feet? Uh, my family wanted me just to come home to Wisconsin because my brother had convinced him I had a nervous breakdown. And my children were in California and starting universities here. So it was a horrible, horrible time. There's no way I was going to go home. So I was really homeless for about four months before my family uh, stepped in. Sorry about that. My family stepped in and helped me get an apartment. And it was a little, or a house. It was a very small house by the railroad tracks. It was so awful. The the railroad tracks went around the house. So when they blew their horn right at that point, you didn't hear anything for a few minutes. Everything in the world stopped. It was very, very humble in a very humble neighborhood, but it was okay. It allowed me to have shelter. And here I have three kids and um, I never got help proper help in getting child support because we had been kind of an international family, had the children over in the Netherlands, came back to America, had our divorce. Um, I didn't want to get stuck in Kentucky. So I moved around and there's no, I realized quickly that if someone steals all your money in America and you are a multi-state or even international person, you're out of luck. There's very no safety nets for you. And when I tried to get host housing, um, the emergency housing that's like state sponsored or federal sponsored, I don't know, they have a name for it. That had a three year waiting list. Tell oh a homeless God. person they have to wait three years. I was so desperate to uh and my family wasn't helping me and my, i mean my mother did eventually so that i could get into a house uh when she realized i wasn't coming back but it was just it was the most awful awful thing to walk down the street and see that the air conditioning and heating is lighting up empty corporate buildings and you don't have a home and no there's nowhere to go with this problem no one really cares there's no agency. There's no, you. it was just awful. I mean, I remember calling and they were saying that there was really nothing we can do for you. We can give you food stamps. Well, <laughs> there's, I don't have a can opener. <laughs> what good is that going to do? <laughs> you know, so, so uh, the problem, I really experienced firsthand the problem in America and what I termed throwaway people and became very determined the first opportunity I could to grow my own kind of enclave and my own people and be like those crazy religious people who do hunker down and take care of themselves. Be like that because the government isn't going to do it for us. We have to. And the churches, even the Catholic church. I mean, I went to visit the Catholic church and the doors were locked. I mean, I was made homeless on a Friday night. I was out of luck till Sunday morning. And even then the Catholic church doesn't do anything for you. They have nothing to give. So I became determined that the first chance I get, I was going to build something that was more like we take care of our people, more ethical, more moral. And, uh, and, and it isn't new. It's a, it's sort of a return to ancient ways. 
You said that women suffer the brunt of poverty and that CBD is a solution. How so? Well, women have for since Christianity has taken hold the last 2000 years have been the brunt of all poverty in all nations. The women always shoulder the poverty. And that's very disturbing to me that no one else is just alarmed about this um, and, and doing something about it. And and I saw hemp. And CBD is a newly deregulated industry. And whenever there is a newly deregulated industry, there's an opportunity to find a niche, find work, even if you're not excellent, even if you're mediocre. It's a new industry. And I definitely see hemp and cannabis as probably the last, I mean, other than mushrooms, maybe, the last deregulating industry on the planet. We're lifting off the obscene regulations on plant-based medicine. And I tip my hat to the pharmaceutical industry for their overreach because it took them like killing scores of people a year before the whole world woke up and said, why are we not embracing plant-based medicine on our own? We can't really trust the pill dispensers because there's profit in there. Right. So when you tip your hat, is it like middle finger exposed in righteousness? Thank you, sir. Goodbye. (laughs) Just like that. (laughs) You and I would get in so much trouble together. I sense that so deeply in my soul, but I'm I'm glad we're here despite it. (laughs) It's it's funny because we left for the women's march protest Saturday morning and Sister Maria had just arrived from New Zealand and she wasn't driving or anything. And she said, do I need to take my ID? And like three of us turned at the same time and said, yes, we might get arrested because that's a definite possibility every time we go out to a protest. This is true. So CBD is um, a solution for your group um, economically because you're selling the products. Talk to me about your living situation and how uh, you've kind of molded it to also be like a housing solution. Yes. Uh, so the idea is that, you know, we, <laughs> I remember when I started this, my humble dream was that if I could get if I could get three or four women and the, between the four of us, we could sell one hundred thousand dollars a year of product and make 50,000 a year. This is how humble my dreams were and shared our cable bills and shared our heat energies and our PG&E bills. We could still live well. So it was a very humble solution. Make 10 or $15,000 a year jobs for each of us, but we share everything. So it's very tribal, very ancient. And, 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 uh, and I also felt very much that if I build it, they will come. And that's kind of what happened. I built it and they come. And now our model is that the sister, no, works here for free. Some of the sisters during COVID, during the pandemic, had to take jobs in the outside world. So we have two living here right now who still work full-time for the patriarchy, but they get paid very well for it. And if they have a private room with a private bathroom, their rent and all expenses is 600 a month. If they have, don't, if they have a shared bathroom, their rent and all expenses is 400 a month. It allows them to work and to save money and to develop, have time for their passion projects. And the sisters that do work full time, uh, we are, we do the same, the full time, of the same metal for rent. Whether you're working full time here or part time here, if you're living here, you're paying this 400 or 600 a month, which is like a subsidized housing. We created our subs- own subsidized housing. 
That is very cool. I imagine that would be very popular uh, recently with housing prices being what they are. Um, yeah, that's that's fascinating. And, and we're, we're building a second story on our Abbey and we're building a second story on another house we acquired in order to make room for more people because the, it's not just the 400, 600 a month. We have a cook who cooks lunch and dinner every day. We have housekeeper service that comes in Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's very high quality of life for a very low amount of money. And you you said Abby and you call them sisters, but you've said that you are not modeled after the Catholic nuns. What do you, who are you modeled after? Well, um, we if you look up the definary diction of nun, they live together, work together, pray together and take vows. The difference between us and our ancient Begin mothers, and I'll spell that because I've been given hell for using it without spelling it, B-E-G-U-I-N-E. They were the first organized nurses in the castles of Europe in the Middle Ages. We relate to them and put our practices around their practices for a number of reasons. One, we relate to them because they had to stand back with the healing cannabis herb in their basket and let the white pasty Italian doctors put leeches on the king's son to heal him. They had to stand back with their known medicine to crazy people who had crazy ideas about how medicine should work. We, for a long time, had to stand back with our cannabis and watch radiation and chemo kill people. We've grown up into a mutual relationship, I think, with science now. But that was that was seven years ago when we found it. Um, the Also, the Begins... The where we're different from the Begins is they lived together, worked together, and prayed together, but they did not take vows. They were independent of any religion, and the women owned all the property. So we reached to them because they were the last organized groups of women in history that were also empowered with their voices. They were scholars, plus they owned property, and that's us. And you used to be called Christine. Is that now being called Sister Kate? Is yeah. from Christine to Kate, is that part of your spiritual transformation too? Well, in the beginning days, it's funny. We had the sisters take a sister name, their own sister name, because we're very tribal and the natives do that kind of stuff. And it's about protect protection. And we were out there as activists and growers. But uh, it's interesting. Kate was actually my confirmation name in the Catholic Church. Oh. So that's why I, that's why I so it's actually really linked back to my Catholic origins and other sisters take other names that are more, I don't know, pagan or Wiccan or whatever. But my, I reached for my confirmation name, which was after St. Catherine, who is also kind of a warrior. So, OK, OK. Well, you said for protection initially, you know, I, medical marijuana it was just medical in California until I think 2016 when it became recreational or as I like to call it legal, legal. <laughs> and, yeah, right. Yeah. Now that it's legal, legal, have you found that there, it has impacted your business anyway? Like, you know, is the competition greater that there's a dispensary on every corner? What's that like for you? Well, we don't even sell our products in dispensaries. We're not allowed to. We're more likely to have our products at Target and Costco because uh, in order to sell in a dispensary, you have to grow each of your plants in the track and trace system. Each plant is identified and reported to the state. We never wanted to do any of that because we're not dealing with THC. All of our products are CBD. All of our products won't get anybody high. And we've communicated with the agency that would regulate us if there was one, but there isn't one because they're only right now regulating THC. So we're not in that system. However, 
it has made us want to be in that. And we are starting to talk about a relationship where we would make our products more one-to-one balanced, THC to CBD. That's what the neurologist wants and the cancer patients and the doctors want. Knowing that when we do that, we can only offer that line through the dispensaries in California and knowing that we have to do that through the track and trace. But to, but what has really changed in California since that proposition is California has become a kinder and gentler little mini nation of its own. We did horrible things to people with anxiety disorders who were using cannabis before this. We were spiking anxiety disorders over the laws of the cannabis. We were undoing the medicine. So to me, the police recognize, the other thing it's done, it is this cause a mental shift in our police and law enforcement where they just don't automatically assume everybody they come in contact with is uh, a druggie. Their, their whole mentality is they're looking now for mental illness to separate that from the criminals. This is a new consciousness that our cops didn't practice before. And we see it firsthand and it is amazing. Okay, that's a, a problem that I never would have thought cannabis would have solved. That is a huge problem being solved by cannabis. Everyone should legalize it from the standpoint of it will make your people and your place a more compassionate place overall. It's going to make everybody more sensitive to anxiety and anxiety. You can't live through cannabis transformation without learning about anxiety disorders and having respect for anxiety disorders. And it's related, even when it runs into pharmaceuticals. And you will see people who are all plant activists seeing and recognizing anxiety disorders that cannot be fixed with cannabis. There's no amount of weed, dude, that's going to fix your anxiety disorder. You need treatment and you might need the medical establishment. And that's the other amazing thing that I've experienced the last seven years in California is how science and plant doctors and herbalists have come together now. I just, on a weekly basis, someone will tell me their doctor recommended our SAP. And, oh. and it's so wonderful. It's like they, they recognize this legitimately. And we, on the other hand, have great respect for them. We tell people, yes, our CBD will help you, but don't quit seeing your doctor, dude. They've got all the good measurement tools. So how well it actually helps in your healing, or if it's not, if it's just helping your pain relief, you really need to stick with your doctor. So there's this new respect that's emerged with the changing of the plant laws that's got us all working together. That's so good. That I love that. I, I really do. So you don't have to leave... A, a traditional path entirely. You can um, integrate and kind of partner and you must. Up. If you have a serious illness, you yeah. must because all the CBD in the world isn't going to tell you if that tumor is shrinking or not. That's true. So when you started out, you did sell flour, right? And then oh, that was when I ran the dispensary with my brother. We knew who that turned out. And yeah. then when I went off on my own and decided that I was going to do something only with the women. I was only going to be the women, except that I also didn't want to become this bitter, divorced woman who just ragged about the men and the type of women I wanted here. I knew we had to be open to having brothers, and we do. We just don't want to be outnumbered by them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, so, we have, and we have the same policy with children, by the way. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Good good call, good call. So the evolution of your um, like innovation in cannabis was flour, and then 
tincture, right? Tell me like the, the mindset behind it. Cause I, I think our listeners would find it interesting to hear how, how you didn't just, um, rest on your laurels like you, and you're still not, like you just said, you're thinking about, um, being able to sell one-to-ones, which, you know, you said a lot of people want that. I definitely want that. I make my own because I I can't find it. Yeah. Yeah, We we make it for ourselves. Yeah. I make it for myself. So, and I would prefer to just be able to get it. That would be really nice. Um, so tell me about like the mindset, but by when you had to pivot. Okay. So I, I, uh, I went through a bad divorce and my brother convinced me to, and he went through a bad divorce. That's how we ended up with five kids under our roof in the Central Valley where I can no longer consult. I was a consultant and I couldn't travel and consult because first of all, when I came here, my brother's boys were like 15 and 17 stoner gamers who did nothing. And my kids came from classical music and ballet on ice and, and, and the boys played soccer. And like, so I couldn't just leave them. I had a cultural thing I had to overcome here. At the same time, we needed the money really bad. So we found, I did the research. I put a board of directors together for my brother's friends and formed a collective. And on my board of directors, I made sure I had a lawyer and a doctor that were well-respected from town and started growing and delivering cannabis. But I, it was because I the laws were such that I could only deliver them to the severely sick and dying. <laughs> and then I'm having to teach them how to smoke it, which was insane to me. I was super worried that somebody was going to torch themselves in bed where I'm dealing with neurological patients who are shaking. And in order to get the medicine, and I'm dealing with dying patients who can't get out of bed. And in order to give them the medicine, and I remember an old colonel, an old retired colonel calling me and asking me to pick up a corn cob pipe on the way. And that was it. I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I have to join the, the world of science. So at that point, I started making tinctures and very, and my brother, Other made fun of me. Everybody made fun of me. But I started making tinctures. And within like nine months, it was 15% of my sales and growing. So I'm like, okay. So when my brother made me homeless and I had to start over again, I was understanding that I could get into a world that was non-psychoactive completely and sell my products on Etsy or on the internet. And that, and in that way, I could reach it. I the other thing about selling. What I was doing, delivering THC weed to dying people, you're never going to make money of out of because if they could afford it, we took it to them anyway. You don't mess with dying people and you don't leave them in pain. And we would end up like buying them, bringing them Thanksgiving dinner and so forth. And I realized quickly that as much as it was a Mother Teresa mission, I was never going to grow this business. I mean, 70,000 a year is the most my brother and I ever made. We had like four dozen patients in this small town that were legitimately sent to us by doctors. And I wanted to do something radical and big. So when I had was thrown out and had to start over with a little backyard, I started with CBD and (laughs) I didn't know how to grow. So I made a deal with a grower that, uh, he could use the rest of my backyard for THC if he grew me six CBD plants. That's how I started. And then the, because within the next season, by May, I was already doing so well, I had to plan my next season's bigger crop or I was going to sell out. I only had six plants. So I went to him and his buddies and told them that if they would make a quarter of this big grow that was out of town in a deserted place, 
my CBD, I would guard the crop for them. And I never owned a gun in my life. I had to go register for a gun. I had to buy an <laughs> RV. And I guarded the crop in order to get a fourth of its CBD. Otherwise, they wouldn't have grown it for me. Hey, Curiositors, just a quick pause to show gratitude to our sponsors and give you some special deals. If trash TV leaves you feeling drained and you want to support creators like yours truly, check out StreamOco. You can search shows by your mood and even, you know, watch my show, The Curious Introvert. For every $3.99 subscription, they give away a dollar for good and support their creators like your girl. Find my affiliate link in the episode description or the bio link in my Instagram account, StreamOco, the streaming network that gives a damn. If you've got backyard barbecue plans for 2022, but mosquitoes are not invited, I recommend Insec. I've been using their pest control service for several years now. They have a certified mosquito identification specialist on staff, and pollinator care is always top of mind. If you live in the Florida Panhandle or the Gulf Coast of Alabama, give them a call, ensec.net. Now back to the show. And you're guarding the crop with this gun in your nun attire? Well, I, yeah, I think I was sister occupied for most of the time. I was the lone sister occupied nun, or I was just on my own. My first, second nun didn't come to me until I was harvesting that crop, the one I guarded. I see. Okay. And has anyone that it has come to you been an actual Catholic nun or an actual Catholic? Yeah. Well, ex. Ex-Catholic nun. So we had uh, Sister Sierra, who was an ex-Catholic nun, but unfortunately, she kind of lost it during the lockdown and she stole a car, ran away. We don't know where she is. Wow. Can't make this stuff up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So talk to me about... And by the way, she didn't have to run away. We're not those kind of nuns. We would have packed her lunch, but whatever, you know. It was a dramatic exit. Yeah. 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 Um, you said in an interview that you don't consider yourself a quote, superstitious or silly person, but instead women of science. How do you reconcile that statement with creating the medicines only during certain moon cycles and kind of the spiritual rituals around making the medicine? Well, we're women of science. And as women of science, we know that we are spiritual beings making a physical walk on this planet. And as women of science, we know that people who have religion live longer and healthier than people who are not, or people who have belief systems, I should say. I don't know about religion, but belief systems, common belief systems that they share with us. We know from science that this comforts us. We know from science that our rituals comfort us. So whether the rituals themselves do anything or not, it's the fact that we, science has already proved enough to me that as a human being, my quality of life is going to be better if I engage in rituals and practices that are nourishing. So, so we, so to us, we reached, we, from a scientific viewpoint, we looked at, I looked at, what were the top 12 beliefs of the Native Americans of this land the last time it was okay to put Mother Earth at the center of your spirituality? Say the year 800. And what were the top 12 beliefs of our ancient mothers in the lands where we genetically come from, where I genetically come from, Northern Europe and the Beguines? And where eight of those beliefs overlapped, we adopted those for our own. In those top beliefs, 
We believe there's a mystical, magical other side. So the first belief is that we organize our lives by the cycles of the moon. That's just a simply way of batching our medicine. And it is just like how we believe our ancient mothers would have done it. Started a batch on a new moon, completed on a full moon, because the moon was their clock keeper. Mm. And then in those top three, we also, our second main major belief is that because we have a special human intelligence above all other life forms on this planet, we have a special obligation to those life forms in this planet to live in harmony with it. And then we demoted great creator God to number three because he was already demoted by their customs in the year 800. The third position is the belief that there's a mystical, magical other side, and we don't get to know everything that's over there. And therein lies the freedom of the sisters to believe and practice their individual practices in regard to their creator God and their angel system or guidance system. That makes so much more sense now that you explained it that way. That is so fascinating. Are there any special um, uh, things that you say or meditations that you lead uh, once a batch is begun or completed? We have, uh, we have blessings of the hands. We have a, once a batch is completed in the kitchen where the, the area is blessed. Um, we have some standard prayers we do, but the sisters like to do their own thing as well, which is fine. We have hope, we have moon water in all our sconces by the doors. So our common blessing when we enter the first time into any of the buildings is to cross ourselves, but it's not a Christian crossing. It's earth, fire, wind, and waters. Mother goddess, bless your daughters. And we also let the guys say, bless the guys and the daughters. <laughs> you know, they, they make their own kind of version about it, but it's okay because we're not leaving them up. We happen to believe it when you lift up women, you lift up all of society. If when society lifts up men, it's not necessarily that the women are going to benefit from that, but always and proven when you lift up the women, everyone benefits. And we believe that. Yeah. And that's why men forgive us our feminist prayers and speech. But we do have <laughs> brothers here and we love them and we respect them. Talk to me about uh, what you describe as. Uh, privatizing your sex lives. I. What does that mean? That's one yeah, of your well, vows, right? Yeah, we take six vows. One's of service and one is obedience, which is to the cycles of the moon, that we have to organize our lives by the cycles of the moon. There's no obedience to a God or, an, or just to organizing your life to the cycle of the moon. Living simply, activism, ecology, and chastity. And in chastity, that is simply dressing and acting uh, in a modest and humble fashion and privatizing your sexuality. That's what that vow is about. We would never, we don't believe in regulating vaginas. We are not fond of anyone who tries to regulate another person's body. Um, and for that reason, we wouldn't regulate the sisters. But on the other hand, uh, we believe that the energy of, se of sexy and the energy of healing are opposite energies. So it's not our brand. It's not our lifestyle. It's not our custom. On the other hand, in respect to intimacy and how healing that is and necessary for human growth, we make room for that. So it could be that a sister in your Abbey would go on a date. Uh, yes, it would be that that would happen, but they would not go in this town and they would not go in their uniform. Okay. That was my follow-up question. You nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> 
that it would not happen here and it would not happen uh, affiliated with the sister. It would be a very private, it's the same as Catholic nuns. When they go home to visit their parents, they don't wear their uniform for two weeks. That's how it is when the sisters go out. When oh. we're, we go out in uniform only when we're together. And if they go out alone, then they dress modestly because sometimes we are recognized anyway. But um, those sexuality is just kept separately private. Now, there's a big exception to that. I already had the order going for a year when Rudy and Cass came to me and said they wanted to join. They were already both working. They were already living together. They already had a baby. Brother Rudy kind of came into the order with one of our early sisters. And they're together, you know, eight years later. And I just told them that when they split, that's a mess they're going to have to figure out. If they ever split, like their relationship, that's a mess that can't fall back on the enclave. Mm -hmm. But again, no one would know they're together because we're just very private about it. Right. That's so interesting. Well, I didn't know that about Catholic nuns. I don't know anything really about Catholicism. I went to a Catholic mass once and was asked to leave. <laughs> so there you have it. Let me tell you the most delightful part to me about this is I was steeped in Catholic dogma as was, oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, I was steeped in Catholic dogma as was Sophia, as were a lot of the older sisters, some in, in Judaism, working with the younger sisters who've had no experience, no exposure to the dogma is so enjoyable because uh, I, things happen like I, when they picked their own first sister name and she chose Evie, one young sister. And I said, oh, how biblical. And she said, is it? I got it from Pokemon. Oh. And I was like, oh my God, like never in my mind would I relate the name to Pokemon, but she was, you know, 22 and like, that was her reference. And the, it's because these young sisters haven't ever been exposed. And that makes it incredibly fun what's going on here because it's a Build-A-Bear religion, what we're doing. We don't like to call it religion, but it's a Build-A-Bear religion. Oh my gosh, I freaking love that. Okay, uh, before we wrap up, can you talk about some of the other products that you've more recently debuted, specifically the mushroom coffee? How did you come up with that idea and what makes it different than say Four Sigmatics mushroom coffee? <laughs> Well, back to the ex-Catholic God who stole a car and ran away. Oh, yeah, her. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I said, uh, I, I think I can say this in your podcast, bitches, I don't think the weed's doing it for mood stabilization. <laughs> we need better. And we started researching mushrooms. And through like six of those first six or eight months of COVID, we were researching mushrooms and we were tasting and buying different mushroom coffees. And with... About 18 months into COVID, we launched our own mushroom coffee. Last August, we launched our own blend. We went for bad. We researched everybody else's and went for better and better. And we got better and better. We have six functional mushrooms in there, plus ashwagandha root and a, a cocoa chai tea base. And so where a regular cup of coffee has 90 milligrams of caffeine, these have about 30 milligrams of caffeine from the chai tea black that has black tea and the cocoa, but it's still one third of the normal coffee you'd get. And, and to, for scale, decaffeinated coffee is about 10 milligrams. So you have decaf over here at 10, ours at 30, coffee at 90. And ours, at, we 
you know, I don't know. I've never had it plain. I like to put regular traditional coffee in mine. So my every cup I have has a little bit of traditional coffee, in, but just a little bit. And I live in an enclave where there's a hot pot of coffee going all the time. The other sisters just do it, but it's, we sell it like a starter kit with this hand blender where you whip your oat milk or some kind of milk and add it at the end and you have a perfect latte. And you quickly get hooked on it and you quickly find that it is a mood stabilizer. It's a game changer. If you love your coffee and you move to mushroom coffee, even in part, you're going to find that you have more energy for everything and more mental clarity. Okay. So if I make French press coffee, would I just like make it half strength, brew it? And then once I pour it into a cup, put the mushroom uh, no, I, what I would do is I would still make your French press coffee, but I would put that over on the side and use it and use the hot tea water with our with our mushroom coffee. So a teaspoon of our mushroom coffee, think of it this way, a teaspoon of our mushroom coffee in with four ounces of hot water and you whip that. And now you add your French press, like two ounces of your French press. Now you whip that. Now you whip some oat milk or something frothy and you pour that on top and you're going to have a drink to die for because it still has a little bit of that what you love. That's how they got me off my coffee to mushroom coffee. I had to have a little bit of that which I love in the new mushroom coffee. But now where I used to drink two or three cups of coffee a day, now probably I drink a half a cup of actual coffee, bean coffee, but I end up with two or three cups of the mushroom stuff. And it it's, you know, you have to find your own way. It's a bit like CBD, which is why we love it. Because with CBD, we can't tell people, uh, take this much. You can't, it's very individual and you have to experiment. It's the same with the mushroom coffee. You have to find your own way to your own recipes. And, and like, Sophia adds a little agave syrup and, and Quinn adds a little honey. I don't like any sweeteners of mine, so I'm just fine with it without it. But you have to find your own way to your recipe. But at the end of the day, you'll be much healthier and your mental clarity, your patience. I think there's a lot of things about this that affects. And we're in a time of high anxiety and we're in a time where every person, if they're not experiencing crazy themselves, they've got it going on around them with someone close who's losing it. And more than ever, we need to be reaching for these things that help us, that give us more tools for coping. Well, you've sold me. I'll take two. (laughs) (laughs) As we wrap up, before we sign off, tell everyone where they can buy the coffee, like all the places they can get it, and then how they can keep in touch on social media with Sisters of the Valley. Okay, so our store is sistersofthevalley.org, and we have all our products there. The only thing that's not there is on Shopify, we have all our things that come out of our craft here, which is another story. We have miniature Barbie bongs and miniature Barbie (laughs) joints and miniature Barbie trimming trays, but that's all on Shopify. We do that just for fun. Uh, But over our main store is sistersofthevalley.org. And then we are Sisters of the Valley on most social platforms. Sometimes we're Sisters of CBD. I love it. Thank you so much. This was fantastic. Thanks for listening. If you've loved a couple episodes of the show, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the Good Pods app. Just share where you're listening from and why you liked a certain episode. And if you liked this episode, you'll also like the one I did with a man who founded the International Church of Cannabis, episode 120. Stay tuned next week when I talk with a garbage geek about what really happens when we throw away our stuff.